You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, and this is Rabbi Levi Avzan back after a small little break over Pesach. And guess who's back in the studio? Craig, it's good to have you back. Um, we had a good rapport with DJ, and we've had a good rapport with you, Craig. So what we're going to do is we're going to keep the conversation going with you. Um, and hopefully looking forward to a new term of hopefully inspirational and relevant and meaningful radio. As always, you could be part of the conversation by WhatsApping 061-895-1019, emailing on air at chayfm.com, tweet at chayfm, SMS 34519. Okay. So, Craig... This is what you've missed. You've been, it's been quite a few months. So, Pesach just finished, by the way. Um, bread has never tasted this good. Um, and pizza, and God bless what else. But no complaining. Pesach was awesome. Food was awesome. And here we're back to a new, a new term of, as we lead up to the next major holiday of the year, and that is Shavuot. What's interesting is how these six months between Passover and Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot, it's like one thing leads into another. It's one holiday leads into the other holiday, and there's always, the theme is really much holiday. Um, and even in the Jewish calendar, how it originally was, Passover led the Jews to get the Torah and Shavuot, and then Moses climbed the mountain, and the Jews sinned with the golden calf, and as a consequence, the whole story Yom Kippur played out. It's all one big sequence, pretty much from now, um, from Pesach time till Yom Kippur, but that's not where we're going today. Today, we're going to focus on the time we find ourselves in now. And the time we find ourselves now is the counting of the Omer, when we count down day by day until the next holiday of Shavuot. But not only is it a means to an end, it's not only a countdown to something else, it has its own intrinsic value. And that is that on these days, we focus on unifying ourselves with, the, with each other. We focus on the unity of Jewish people. And it's always at this time of the year that the show's on the station, and in general, all around the world, a tremendous focus goes on the idea of unity, as we'll discuss after this song, because, Craig, we don't do anything before some good music, and this is Yit Gadal by Chaim Israel here on 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avzan, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Shul, here on the Fabringen Show live on 101.9 High FM, and it's fantastic to be here. I hope you're in a good headspace. I hope you're feeling positive about the new um, post-Pesach energy, feeling a sense of freedom, a sense of liberation, a sense of growth, a sense of release, that hopefully something over the past week was released out of our system, something negative. And not only did we lose something negative, but we bring in something positive. We brought into ourselves, whether it's an attitude, a feeling, a perspective um, of positivity, which automatically then transforms the way we see life, and not only the way we see it, the way we experience life. And now we're in the time of the year that is really focused on unity. I'm sure 
you might have heard it on the radio um, before, whether it's last year or even this year by other speakers, but just a quick review of why the this time of the year is a focus on unity. Obviously, every day of the year, we focus on unity, but this time of the year specifically, and that is because many years ago, about 2,000 years ago, 24,000 students of the great sage Rabbi Akiva died during this period, and the Talmud tells us the reason that they passed away is because they did not respect one another. And pretty much by the time it was over, um, by the time it was over, the Rabbi Akiva was only left with five students, and he had to rebuild um, pretty much the entire Torah Judaism from these five students, and to commemorate that tremendous loss of li- of life, but more importantly, the lesson over there. This time is a time of mourning, um, and in a few days' time, Chai FM stops playing music um, and plays a cappella music. Uh, people don't often cut their hair, at least during the week. Some don't shave. Um, and there's various different customs that we do of not major mourning, but minor mourning, to just remember the loss of life and the lesson of it. Um, Stephen says, Hi, Rabbi, would you be able to dedicate today's learning in, in the memory of my father, Yitzchak ben Herschel? Yes, obvi- uh, of course, Stephen, and we wish you and your family long life. So it's something that that I struggle with in my own life, something that I try to grapple with in my own head over and over and over, and that is why is it so hard for us to get along? Why is it? Why is it so hard for people to get along? Is it because we're different? No, because we all get along with people that are different than us, unless we're extremely socially inept whether it's our spouse, whether it's our sibling. Yes, there's some people we don't get along with, but if you think about your circle of acquaintances, your circle of friends, not everyone's exactly like you. So why is it that certain people, not only don't we get along with, but we actually have friction with? Okay, so on the extreme, you might say that there are people who do wrong, like terrible things to us. They abuse us, they hurt us neglect us. Okay. Now, although I can't, we shouldn't be justifying that kind of hatred and animosity because no hatred is justified, but it's more understandable. But on the most part, most of the hatred and animosity that happens within families, within communities, pitting one community against another community, the wider world, etc., is not often based on real grievances. It stems from some almost baseless hatred, sinas chinam, in the words of the Talmud, and then we find excuses for the hatred. There's a beautiful discourse by the fifth Chabad Rebbe, his name was Rabbi Shalom Dovber Lubavitch, who passed away in the year 1920. And he wrote an incredible treatise, a credible essay called Heichaltzu. Um, I believe it was written in the year 1899. And in it, he has a 
fascinating discussion on um, disunity and unity. And one of the points he argues is that the reason we dislike each other often, if not most of the time, has no reason. There is no reason. It's this baseless hatred in which you're, you threaten my ego. Somehow you threaten my ego. And then we find excuses for that hatred. We find excuses for the hatred. So often we sit there saying, oh, look, look at that grievance. Look at that, what that person did to me. I can't believe they did it to me. But that's not what caused you to dislike them. That's an excuse that your logical mind says, hey, you know what I mean? You're a logical guy, logical person. You're a decent human being. I mean, it's, it's unbefitting of you to dislike somebody. So we find excuses. And often we, our hatred is simply baseless. There's no justification to hate. I mean, we're, we're very self-righteous about our hatred. Believe me, we have the best excuses in the world why we're justified to dislike somebody else. But at the core, there's no justification. At the core, it's our own inadequacy and our own weakness that's causing us to hate because a person who's worked on themselves and a person who is aiming to have a wholesome heart and to live a healthy Jewish ethical lifestyle cannot hate. If we're hating it has nothing to do with the other person. It has everything to do with us. Despite any excuse we have, hatred is our problem. It's the hater's problem. It's not the hated problem. Faribles, when we get hurt and we get upset at other people, it's our problem. It's not their problem. But all too often we outsource and we blame others for our inner hurt. And we believe that's th that I really, I'm really not a person of hatred. I really, I'm, I'm an easygoing guy. What are you talking about? I'm so easygoing. Just happens to be I dislike, you know, I don't know, 50 people, each one for a very different reason. I remember one time having a conversation with a guy, and he was just telling me about various discords that he has with various different people. And I said, what's the common denominator between all the people that you're having issues with? He says, uh, what do you mean? There's no common denominator. That person stole money from me, and that person one time didn't invite me to a bar mitzvah, and that person uh, snubbed me, and that person is not. Yeah, but what's the common denominator amongst all those issues? You. You. Me. When, I'm, when I find myself disliking this person, disliking that person, there's only one common denominator, me. So when I feel hatred in my heart, instead of looking and saying, why am I hating that person? The correct question is, why am I hating at all? How can I have hatred in my heart? How can I have resentment in my heart? First and foremost, it's a prohibition one of the 613 commandments is God says, don't hold a grudge. But besides that, just for my own health and sanity, 
Do I want to be a person whose heart is consumed by hate? Heaven forbid. So as we embark on this season of unity, it's important that we have this conversation. No matter how repetitive it is, there's no question that the single biggest challenge of Jewish history is our own disunity. And the biggest challenge of our own time is this unity. And the biggest favor we could do to ourselves and our, our people is starting to get along a bit better. You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM. And now, a beautiful song of unity, a beautiful song of compassion. This is Yaakov Shweki singing Mama Rachel, a song about our matriarch Rachel and how she was willing to give of herself to her sister. A beautiful song in English here on 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. This is Rabbi Levi Avzan, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Schull, and this is the Farbringen show every Tuesday from 1 to 2 in the afternoon. And we we're heading into the meat of the show. And we're talking today about the idea of there is no excuse for hating one another. We have the best excuses for trying to hate one another, but there is no legitimate excuse for us disliking one another. We can be critical of certain things each other do. I mean, yes, there is an objective right or wrong in this world. But in the words of that Bruria, the, the wise wife of Rabbi Meir, the story goes in the Talmud that Bruria, Rabbi Meir was one time... As a family, they were being harassed by people in the city who were rough, ruffians, like difficult people. And Rameir was sort of praying that they should die. And his wife turns to him, Bruria, and says, doesn't it say in the verse that only sins should be removed from this world, not sinners? So why don't you pray, that instead of them dying, pray that they repent, that the sins, the mistakes should be removed, not the mistakers. And Ramirez says, you're right. And he indeed prayed on their behalf and they returned to the good path. Yes, yeah, so we can criticize each other for each other's actions. In other words, I could sit there saying objectively that thing is wrong. And you could argue and say that that thing is right. The problem is when it becomes that cliche word, when it becomes personal. When I'm no longer criticizing the action as an objective, independent reality, but I'm, I'm criticizing you, that's a very dangerous game. I remember reading a, a thought that Lubavitcher Rebbe shared. I believe he shared this in the early 90s, maybe in the late 80s in which he says that, as we know, there are many, many different paths in Judaism. We just finished Passover, and we read the story how when the sea split, the Jewish people crossed the sea in 12 different paths. The sea did not split just one division, actually 12. Some people say 13, because 12 for the 12 tribes of Israel, and the 13 for the people that didn't know what tribe they belonged to. And so too in the temple, there was a special entrance, Shara Kailo, the entrance for the people who didn't know where they belong. But the point is there was 12 entrances for 12 different tribes because already from the very foundation of the Jewish people, remember that the splitting of the sea happened before Sinai. 
Now you'd think that if God is forming a new nation, like really, this idea has to be emphasized and cannot be emphasized enough. When God was forming the Jewish nation into a nation, as we're going to celebrate in a few weeks' time on the holiday of Shavuot, you would think that in the formation, we should at least be all the same. You would think that in the foundation, in the bedrock of our story, we would be the same. So why, when the Jews are crossing the sea, and the sea is split into 12 different paths? Why? Why can't God just make one split and let everybody go together and lead the Jewish people to Sinai as one, at least to teach the Jewish people from the beginning that we're supposed to be an homogenous nation, that we're all supposed to be the same. So the answer is obviously self-explanatory, because homogeny is not the Jewish way. It's not the human way. It's nonsensical. We are all created with different personalities. A relative of mine is on a bit of a craze of the personality types now. So I don't know if you know the Enneagram has eight, nine personality types. And then there's the introvert versus extrovert story, the INP, whatever, the 16 personality types. One thing you can be clear, that, that regardless how many personality types you think there are on the planet, nine, 16, or 7 billion, we can all agree that we're not the same. We're not the same. We don't have the same hobbies. That's why one person goes into engineering and one person goes into the arts. One person loves numbers and one person loves history. One person loves dancing and one person doesn't like moving a bone. Here's the fact of life. We're different. And yet, so often we try to create homogeny. And we become judgmental when there's no homogeny. And it seems clear that from the fact that even before the Jews were formed into a nation, that God allowed them and actually facilitated that they would cross the sea, which symbolized freedom to redemption, that step out of slavery into liberation. It seems obvious the fact that he allowed it to happen in 12 different paths that God wanted from the beginning to legitimize and celebrate diversity. That it's not a plan B. It's not a compromise to the original Jewish plan when we are different from one another. It's the very fabric of our formation. The fact that there are Ashkenazim and Sfardim, Temanim, and even within the Sfardi community, many, many different types. And within the Ashkenazi, so many different types. Mizrahi and Hasidim and Litvaks. And and even within that, a million different subcategories. That it is not a compromise. It's not something problematic Our diversity is not the problematic. It's our lack of tolerance for diversity that's our ultimate problem. When one group can criticize the other group's legitimacy, 
just because everyone has to be like us. That tears at the fabric of our formation of a Jewish people. And I, I started off by saying, I remember there, there was a talk, the Lubavitcher Rebbe said, that there's re- legitimacy for many, many different paths within Judaism. But the one legitimacy that there isn't is for judgmentalism. That means all different tribes amongst the Jewish people have to agree on one thing, obviously besides the basics that there's one God and the Torah, etc. But there's one fundamental idea and approach that we have to all agree on, and that is unconditional love of one another. Unconditional love and acceptance of one another. I'm not saying acceptance of actions, but acceptance of another human being, acceptance of your fellow Jew. It's when we stop accepting one another, when we become so critical of other people's choices in life that we no longer only criticize the choice, we criticize the choicer, and we start labeling people who followed a different path people from a different tribe as lesser and that we start believing that we have a monopoly on truth and that we have a monopoly on on, on heaven that's when things go sour and that's where the students of Rabbi Kiva failed and that's where unfortunately 2,000 years later many of us are still failing and that is we are not respecting the and legitimizing the fundamental truth of the human existence, and that is difference. The fact that one of us is attracted to one kind of flavor of Yiddishkeit, and the other person is attracted to a different flavor of Yiddishkeit. One of us wants to go to one shul, and the other person likes going to another shul. Another person likes getting involved in organizations. And each one of us expresses our connection our own way is not the problem, it's beautiful. It's beauty the fact that we don't all dress the same color. It's beauty the fact that we have different sidurim. We have different customs. I mean, we just came from the holiday of Pesach. And Pesach is the holiday of customs. Whether it's some people throwing frogs at each other, the Seder, and there's other people who are eating matzah out of a bag, and there's other people enjoying uh, rakuzins with, with, uh, in their soup, and everyone with their own little shtick. And each family with their little tradition, this person's using a cup that they got from their great-grandmother from the shtetl. One person was telling me they've been using the same dishes in the family for at least 75 years on Pesach. And that is beautiful. When you go around and you can walk into every seder and see uniqueness, color, flavor, that's when you say, how beautiful, how enriching that people are able to bring in their own personality and their own perspective into their religion, into their passion. Obviously within parameters. We're not talking about just taking and breaking the fundamentals of religion. Within the parameters to allow diversity of thought How dangerous it becomes when all of us start thinking alike. It's almost cult-like. How dangerous it becomes when we start looking at people who have a bit of a different perspective as lesser.
as shun-worthy. Yes, do we have to be critical of ideas that are beyond the pale? Yes, first of all, critical of the ideas, not of the people. But often we are not criticizing ideas and people beyond the pale. We are criticizing people and ideas within the pale. People who are trying to do the right thing and people who are following Jewish law. And yet, because they don't dominate as the same sitter as me, they don't have the same customs as me. They don't wear the same size yarmulke as me, the same color yarmulke as me. Their shaitel is not the same like me. Oh, suddenly, no, 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 no. We don't look at each other. You're less. I have a monopoly. And I often wonder, I mean, did God show up to anybody in their dream and tell them that they have a monopoly on the truth? How do people walk around with such a pumped chest convincing themselves that they're right and everyone else is wrong and such a self-righteous attitude about people who are a little different than them if we want to go to the root of the Rabbi Kiva's story the 24,000 students it's a very simple thing each one of them was a student of Rabbi Akiva great pious, holy, learned sages. These were not 24,000 different uh, levels of Judaism. I mean, these were all dedicated people. These were the students of the greatest sage of the time. They were all religious, holy, holy, holy. And they could not appreciate the fact that the other person had a different knetch, a different flavor, a different perspective. Mm -mm. No tolerance. You either think like me or I disrespect you, and I become judgmental of you, and I become patronizing of you. And 2,000 years later, have we learned the lesson? This is Rabbi Levi Aftson here on 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Aftson on 101.9 Chai FM. Unity. Appreciating each other. That's the theme here we're talking today on 101.9 Chai FM, the Fabringen Show. You can, once again, you can email on air at chaifm.com, tweet at chaifm, you can WhatsApp 061 895 sorry, 1019. When I look at you, what's the first thing that comes to me? Is it your difference? Is it your similarity? When I look at you, what's the first feeling I feel? Distance? Closeness? Suspicion? All these questions say a lot about us and our approach to life, and there's so many more questions like it. When our basic assumption is I dislike you until you prove me to like you. (laughs) Which, unfortunately, many of us live that way. What it basically says is that we see other human beings fundamentally as a threat. We see difference as problematic, and only once we find similar ground can we then become friends. I would argue that That is a flawed perspective. 
waiting for similarities in order to get along is a flawed and problematic perspective because what it says is that we can only celebrate our similarities. We cannot celebrate our differences. And again, God made differences. God uh, made a world in which we are different. And God allowed for so much of Judaism to evolve in such a beautiful and organic way. So Jews, some Jews moved to Russia and they developed their customs and other Jews moved to Poland and other Jews moved to Morocco and other Jews moved to Rhodes and other Jews moved to, I don't know, France, England, United States eventually, South Africa. And each one of them picked up Customs of the place and, and flavors and, 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 and brought their, the climate of where they lived into their traditions in a beautiful way. And suddenly there's difference. Do we celebrate it? Do we celebrate that difference or do we become so judgmental? Do we walk around feeling that we belong in heaven and other people don't? I remember hearing a song by one of the singers that we actually play on the show, and a good guy, where pretty much the the, the lyrics of the song are, who is going to make sure that our fellow Jews are going to enter heaven? It's our responsibility. And then it talks about like bringing Jews closer, etc. And I thought that... It was the most condescending attitude I could imagine. Where this guy is singing with such clarity that he's going to heaven and other people aren't. That he has the key to the gates and other people don't. Really? How do you know? What makes you say so? Because you think you're more religious than the other person? Do you think God judges us all the same? Do you think God does not see the value in maybe other things that person does? Maybe that person indeed doesn't keep Shabbos. But maybe they give charity. Maybe they've raised good, decent, ethical kids. Maybe they, they don't hate other people unlike you. So yes, you're keeping Shabbos, but they're keeping another commandment, and that is don't hold a grudge. And yet you have the monopoly? You're the one standing at the gate? Really? I can't imagine a more patronizing and self-righteous attitude. How are we supposed to bring unity amongst the Jewish people when some people consider themselves better than others? Yes, you can try to bring us all closer, because, not because you're trying to get people into heaven, but because if you love somebody unconditionally, you want what's best for them, and what's best for them is to have a good relationship with God. But you're not going and trying to convince a Jew to keep Shabbos because otherwise they're not going to heaven. How do you know? Maybe they're going to heaven, a bigger heaven than you are. Are you God? Have you seen his scale? And sorry if I'm coming across harsh, but it, it gets to the, it, 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 at least for me, it, it drives me crazy. I, 
it's like a, a, my personal pet peeve when I hear people so self-righteous. And I, I, I want to bring up a thought. Think of y- your parents. Some of us were blessed with great parents. Some of us were blessed with very problematic parents. And some of us were blessed with, or cursed, whatever, whichever way you want to use it, with very judgmental parents. Parents that whatever we did was not good enough. How did that feel? How many years of therapy have you been sitting in to heal yourself from that parent that could only be critical? Show me one person who appreciates a parent who was judgmental of them who only gave them food if they behaved that day, but starved them if they didn't. Really? Such a parent might be locked up. And if not, definitely that child's going to be spending a lot of years in therapy trying to get their own self-worth back. Because a child that did not grow up with unconditional love, especially from a mother will struggle the rest of their life unless they do tremendous work with a, with a feeling of inadequacy. So if we all struggle and we all agree, sorry, if we all agree that parenting in judgment is not good, then why do some of us think that God is a judgmental father? We wouldn't think very highly of a parent who's judgmental. So why do we think highly of God? If God is that person that just sits there saying, you did something wrong, slap, no food today, you're going to burn. If God is so rigid and his love is so conditional, how can you love such a God? You wouldn't love such a parent. You wouldn't love such a spouse. You wouldn't love such a friend. And yet you, you, you could love such a God. The prophet says, I love you, says, the, says God. That's what the prophet quotes God. I love every single Jew with an unconditional love in the words of the Holy Baal Shem Tev. God loves every Jew more than a parents who had a child in their old age. An only child. That the love that God has for each and every one of us is unconditional, independent of what you do. A parent who loves a child based on what they do is not a parent. They have no right to consider themselves a parent. What kind of parent are you? That if your kid gets a 90 on the test, you smile at them. If the kid gets a 60, you throw them out of the house. What kind of parent are you? And what kind of God would God be if he is the way so many people imagine him to be? This judgmental, unloving God. Why anyone would attribute to God such ideas baffles me. I think it's a disservice. In the words of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, it's a chilul Hashem. It's a disgrace of God's name to say that he can be judgmental. You're making God sound as bad as a terrible parent. And it's a kiddush Hashem. It's a sanctification of God's name. When we appreciate that he loves us more unconditionally than any parent can ever dream of, and he loves us for who we are, and yes, he wants us to grow and build a better connection 
We all do. We all want to build better connections with our children, with our spouses, etc. But not because we're any less if we don't. This is 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. I will finish off with a story that's been shared more than once. That someone one time came to the great Reb Shmuel of Lubavitch. And Reb Shmuel was talking to him about a certain individual, and he said that that person has a tremendous soul and a tremendous, beautiful, and a very special individual. And this, indivi- and this person who Rabbi Shmuel was talking to turns to him and says, Rabbi, I have to disagree with you. I know the person personally, and I don't think he's anything unique. I think he's a very average individual. And Rabbi Shmuel turns to him and says, what do you do for a living? He says, I'm a diamond dealer. Do you have any diamonds with you? He says, yes, I do. Can you show me them? And he takes out a, a bag with a few diamonds and he spreads them around the table. And he starts pointing to one and says, this is a very fancy, this is worth a thousand ruble. This is not such quality. It's worth 50 ruble. Rab Shmuel looks at him and says, I disagree. I think the one that you claim is 50 is worth a thousand. And the other thing is worth 50. And this guy gives a smirk. And he tells the Rebbe, he says, Rebbe, you're, you're a great sage, but I'm a diamond dealer. And in order to price and see the value of a diamond, you have to be a maven. And Rabbi Shmuel turns to him and smiles and says, and in order to estimate the value of your fellow, you have to be a maven as well. All too often we walk around convincing ourselves that we're mavens and we know who's better and who's less. And we know if we belong to this group, we have a quicker, we have the express train to heaven and the other person doesn't. First of all, this whole focus on heaven is a bit too much anyway. I mean, we're living in this world. Yes, heaven and hell and punishment and and reward and all that stuff is a fundamental part of Judaism and it's a show for a different time. But we don't live here focusing on the future. We live here making this world a better place. Regardless, this whole idea that we know who's going quicker and whose soul is better and who's accomplished more in life, ah, so false. And it's a repetition of Rabbi Kiva's students. The first temple was destroyed for idolatry, adultery, and murder. And how long did that exile last? 70 years. The second temple was destroyed because of judgmentalism, hatred, division, self-righteousness. And it's 1948 years later, and unfortunately, we're still in exile. Maybe it's time to actually start liking each other. Maybe it's time to start criti- stop criticizing difference. Maybe it's time to look at a Jew who maybe doesn't look like you. Look at your fellow human being and see their beauty, not their lacking. Maybe it will actually fix the problem that we created 2,000 years ago. Is it possible? I think so. You think so. We all do. Let's make it happen. This is Rabbi Levi Aftson, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Show, signing off here on 101.9 Chai FM. Please, God, be back here next week. Have a great week. And please, God, Chodesh Tov, Shabbat Shalom, and only good news for all of us.